Welcome, it's Jeremy Allen Gould. I'm coming to you today to confirm between God and of man that in fact the rumors that you have all heard are true. I started this podcast because I freaking love music. I was privileged enough to book amazing artists and bands in the past, and I was lucky enough to stay in touch with many of them to this day. This is a place to hear their stories. Thank you so much for riding along on this journey, and I hope you enjoy what you hear. With that said, the rumors are definitely true. Hey guys, and welcome to this latest episode, and today I welcome Matt Putman. You know Matt from the bands Living Sacrifice, S.O. Karis, Unwed Sailor, Orphan Twin, Norma Jean, and lately Project 86. What an awesome conversation with Matt. It's really cool to just really get to know him. I didn't know him beforehand, so... What an awesome opportunity, super talented, incredibly gifted person. Um, Man, I'm really stoked on this episode, and I'm really hoping that you guys enjoy it as much as I do. So thank you guys for tuning in. Uh, Add me on Instagram and Facebook at The Rumors Are True Cast. And uh, hey, stoked for the future. Matt, thanks so, so much for coming on the podcast. It's uh, so cool to finally meet you, man. Uh, Jeremy, great great to finally meet you as well, and uh, thanks for having me. Oh, man. How, uh, how are things going on for you right now? What, what's going on in your life currently? Yeah, so, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm down here in uh, old Fort Smith, Arkansas. Oh, yeah. You know, just the same area that I was – I wasn't born here, but I was raised here. Um, yeah, man, I, I, uh, I, I just uh, – family thing. Uh, I have my own little home studio where I, uh, work on my own stuff and work with other bands. Um, but I also just have a, an eight to five, uh, corporate job doing a d- digital marketing for a great uh, company called ArcBest. So yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm just way settled into my forties here. Yeah, uh, man. John yeah, a little bit over at the former, uh, full-time musician lifestyle. Is there a, do you miss that or do you like, are you in a good spot where you're just like, this is what I want to do? Yeah, I don't miss it at all. I, uh, I really got to a point where I, uh, really didn't enjoy touring and, um, and then even got to a point where I didn't really like to play shows anymore. Um, but it's just because my, even when I, the whole time I played in bands, the thing, you know, the, my first time being in like a real studio, but also just recording my own stuff on a four track in my bedroom, like recording was always like my first love. Uh, and the thing that got me, 
well, it didn't get me interested in playing in bands, but like it was my favorite part of it. Um, and so I just decided that that's what I wanted to do about, you know, 15, 16, 17 years, mid, mid 2000s. I just kind of stopped touring and uh, started learning more about recording um, and got to the point where I've got my own space that I've been uh, running for probably close to 10 years on and off, you know, just collaborating with different people, working on my own stuff. And I really, I, I enjoy it a lot. That's awesome. That's super cool. It's always nice to uh, be at an age where you're comfortable and you kind of earn the driver's seat somewhat. Yeah. The, <laughs> yeah. Good, it's great memories. You know, I had such a great time being on the road all, a lot and playing shows and, and I still play, I, I play in a band called state house electric, which is like a alt country, classic country. Oh, nice. Um, you know, and we like play two hour sets, you know, kind of a happy, <laughs> happy hour vibe, but it's That's just awesome. super, super fun. Um, so I still, you know, Playing shows, I don't hate it, but uh, but yeah, I just I'd much rather be working on records. I get it, I get it. I think that's just probably maturity and just being to where you're in a, you know, just the, the normalcy of it all. I guess. Yeah. So yeah. I think Sweet so. man. Well, let's talk about you growing up. Um, tell tell me kind of how things were, uh, growing up, and kind of talk about how music kind of got into your life and maybe influences and bands and records that kind of shaped who you are. Yeah. So I, I come from a very musical family. Um, my uh, our our great uh, grandfather is in the gospel music hall of fame. Um, oh, that's he wrote just like a ton of old hymnals. You know, I often pick up, you know, find old hymnal books and open them, and there'll be a song or two of his in there. Um, and so we just grew up around a lot of singing and and just uh, and just music in mm -hmm. general. So it was just kind of. We're not, we're not really a sportsy family. Like none of us played sports really growing up. We were all in the school band. I'm talking me and my three brothers. Yeah. Um, but also all, most of my cousins and, you know, we're just a, just music is, is kind of where we uh, excel as opposed to, you know, sports. But um, so yeah, always, you know, just listening to a lot of records growing up and, you know, kind of in a late or early teens, you know, 10 to 13, 14, you know, uh, Corey and I, my, my brother, Corey, we just started, you know, playing uh, music. You know, I got my first drum set. Um, I was already in the school band. So like playing percussion and snare. So I kind of knew a little bit about it and got my first kit. Uh, he dropped out of the school band because he hated playing the trombone. Um, and uh, so my parents got him a, gu a guitar instead. <laughs> and nice. he just took to it really quickly. And pretty soon we were like playing um, you know, a Slayer and Alice in Chains songs in our, in our basement, wow. um, just like all kinds of metal, hardcore punk and, um, just alternative bands, everything we were into. And, and from there, just, you know, just playing music, you just end up hanging around with other people that play music. And pretty soon you're, you're going to shows and, um, you know, Fort Smith, the river Valley is, is the area that we live in. It had a really great, uh, underground punk scene, you know, in the, in the late eighties and nineties, you know, shows almost every week, the same group of, you know, of 50 to 70 people you yeah. know, rotating in and out. And there's just a really tight knit community. Um, and we, we started our first band. It was called funnel. Um, <laughs> we, were, we were pretty terrible. It's kind of like a kind of an alternative rock band kind of thing, but nobody cared. You know, we, we were playing with a bunch of other people that were planning, uh, you know, crust punk and power violence and, um, uh, classic punk and just, there were just all kinds of cool yeah. band, bands in Fort Smith. Um, 
some of the names were like Benchmark, Doodle, <laughs> Doodlebug, Feck, <laughs> Burned Up, Bled Dry. Um, uh, there were so many. We even had a ska band called the, uh, I think they're called the Mistletones. Oh, nice. Um, it was just a great community in, in, you know, a rotating cast of clubs that we uh, went to throughout the years. And um, yeah, from, but from Funnel, um, that, uh, you know, Esoteris form, or Elliot, as we were called in the beginning, form, mm-hmm. it was the same three people from Funnel, uh, me and Corey and um, Arthur Green. Oh, yeah. And, uh, and so then we started, um, Elliot and it was still the three of us. And then um, my friend Matt Depper came and, and joined. And so we were kind of a four piece, um, but it was really never his thing. He was uh, Matt, such a talented musician. Um, and we, we, we always played together as well. Growing up, we had a little side project called uh, snail hunter. That, oh, I think uh, I've heard of that actually. Yeah. We've put out like one record. Yeah. 25 years ago. But um, uh, so from there, we uh, uh, Jason Holmes came in yeah. after that. Um, just a, a a guy we had met going to shows um, and he was a, just like a guitar player, had his own band going on, um, but he joined up. So that became, uh, we had to rename the band because there was a, obviously a very huge band that was coming up at the time called yes. Elliot, Elliot yes. <laughs> who went on to oh, be yeah. a, you know, a legendary. Yes. Um, at the time we just saw a review for one of their earlier records in like a, hardcore heart attack magazine we were like yeah. oh, shit we have to change the name of the band <laughs> <laughs> so uh so we we uh you know esoteris is what we came up with um how did you come up with that name it it, it, it was greek and it's probably you know probably bad greek uh, i think you know but it meant you know so means like inside or within and then charis means grace so yeah that yeah. that was it um and so yeah from there we just uh it was great, man. Like we started playing shows and just almost immediately had like a following. Wow. Um, and we could pretty much like sell out the, the, you know, the local punk club, which is not saying a lot, but like you, you know, uh, you know, there's some videos from back then and it's just crazy. That's you know, awesome. it's, it, it's, you know, the building now is still there and it's like a car parts store now, but you know, if you <laughs> can imagine 70 to 80 kids, you know, you know, packed into like a small office, front office looking room. <laughs> yeah. Um, it, was, it was pretty great. But um, yeah, and so just by um, playing uh, Esoteris, we, you know, we were, we were obviously like a, you know, Christian band. So like mm-hmm. we had, you know, had a lot of uh, themes about, uh, about Christianity and every song really. And so we just naturally ended up meeting and um, playing with the guys from uh, Living Sacrifice. Oh yeah, and so that's we met them through Esoteris and and Bruce uh, Fitzhugh, uh, lead lead vocalist, guitar player for Let Me Sacrifice. He, they had just started. Um, they were writing for the Reborn record at the time. Oh, nice. So, so DJ had just left. Bruce was going on to vocals, and there they played at, at here in town once, and it was just one of the best shows I've ever seen in my life. I it bet was, it was I like bet. mostly new material. They were writing for Reborn, and then a few songs from Inhabit. Mm. Um, but with Bruce singing and it was just one of the mm. most amazing experiences. And, and bef- I mean, honestly, before that, you know, Elliot, uh, was Esso Karras. We were like, we, you could, it would be closer to describe us as like a heavier sunny day real estate. Nice. <laughs> but Love that. A- after we saw, um, let me sacrifice play. We were like, oh, we gotta be heavy. Yeah. <laughs> like we, we gotta oh, be yeah. way, way heavier. Oh, yeah. And it was uh, really funny at the time we had this revolutionary idea. Like, what if we had screaming parts and singing parts? 
uh-huh. <laughs> which obviously is like every band now, but at yes. the time there really wasn't a whole lot of that. Yeah, I agree. Um, and so, uh, and we kind of did it badly, but you know, I think our, our I, hearts I disagree were... with that. I think it's phenomenal. I think it's well, phenomenal. Well, thanks. Um, but yeah, so from there we, we, uh, Bruce just really liked the band and he wanted, uh, to help us make a record. Um, so let me ask you this. How, how long yeah. were you guys a band before you guys finally played with living sacrifice? Uh, was it something that you kind of were, and I guess when you started to write the record or start write the songs, were, were you like, wow, this is something cool. Like is, did you feel that way or was it like, Oh, this is just noise. Like how, how, no, I think we knew that we had something kind of special and unique. Um, you know, we had a lot of the way we would write songs was, was, kind of all over the place. I mean, it was mostly me and Corey and I don't play guitar, but I can write songs in my head and like riffs. Yeah. So it would be, you know, just um, be me like mouthing riffs to Corey and him taking them and like making them real. But that's like, badass. And then, and then obviously he wrote a ton of stuff as well. That was always great. And we, so we just kind of uh, did it that way. And, and we had, we had a lot of like little musical uh, figures that we kind of came up with. So we had something that we called a square beat. And that was just stuff like doom god, doom doom god, like that yeah. kind of big shifts between um, between chords and and just a real mechanical rhythm, which is very like Voivod. Yeah, um, I love the no- Nothing Face record, and it has a lot of that kind of stuff. But we we had you know so we had yeah yeah square beats and and then we would also try to make our instruments sound like other things. So like the first song on the Esoteric album, Warmer the Future. In the beginning, you're hearing three different types of sirens with the guitar. So, like, one of them is the long, like, ambulance siren. The other one is, like, a regular police siren. And then the bass is doing, like, this uh, Mexican ambulance. <laughs> like, uh, we, we just wanted it to sound like a bunch of sirens yeah. going off. So we would do things like that. Just We were always experimenting and, and just um, trying to do something different, mainly with the guitars I... and with the rhythms. I can totally see that. It's funny because I, when I discovered you guys, I, I, you know, I was like, I think I probably read about you in HM or some sort of magazine, yeah. um, before online, obviously. And so you guys were one of those records I was trying to find, and I, th- I think I wound up buying it actually at a Living Sacrifice show. Um, I think he was uh, Bruce was selling them, yeah. And it was like, oh, this is cool. It was the red cover record, yeah, yeah. And I remember buying it, and I loved. Everything I, I loved the sound. I, lo- I thought it was so raw and so like I don't know. Like you said, it was a sing scream, and you know at the time there was not many bands. It was like Bloodshed. There was Bloodshed like Bloodshed was like one of yeah, the only ones. Yeah, yeah. So you guys we felt definitely competitive with them. <laughs> well, and you guys were both phenomenal yeah. in your own right. You know, like yeah. and I don't think you guys sounded anything alike. It, it yeah. was just very like visceral, and I don't know. It just it was such an awesome record. And I was stoked when I got it. Stoked, and I had it, and I was like, I would show everyone. I was like, this is such That's a so badass cool. record. Yeah. Like, I really just thought it was phenomenal. And then I, I, I was curious, like, with that record, like, uh, you know, did, obviously Bruce helped you out with it. How did, how did that, you know, obviously he was into you guys, but tell me yeah. kind of how that process went and how the recording went and, and then kind yeah. of maybe touch on how Solid State kind of picked it up or I, I was always curious yeah. about. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, just Bruce, he, you know, he came to us pretty early saying that he really liked what we were doing and wanted to help somehow. And so, he essentially started his own label. It was called Seize the Day Records. Okay. Um, so, and he financed uh, all the studio time uh, with Barry Pointer at Pointer Palace, which is where Living Sacrifice yeah. made several records. 
and a ton of other solid state. Yeah, was it Zao <laughs> and yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, endless Julian Theory, Zao, uh, and NIV, uh, every, every every solid state band in, in the in the in the '90s recorded at Pointer Palace after Reborn because it sounded so great. But um, yeah, so he, he we just like crammed to kind of finish the songs. Um, went into the studio. We had never been in a like a professional studio before. Um, you know, even though it's it's in his garage in his back, you know, it's not, you know, it's pretty modest, but, it, you know, it, it was, he, Barry was an amazing engineer, great producer. Absolutely. Got, got great sounds um, and was just super fun to work with. So, yeah, I think it was like our first professional studio experience. And um, I didn't know how to like play to a click or anything. So, like, there's no, you know, there's no click track. At the, the, so the tempos are just kind of wildly all over the place. Yeah. Um, which kind of adds to the. Chaotic, chaotic energy of it you know absolutely um but we probably would do it different now but <laughs> obviously but um yeah we just kind of tore through it and then uh we kind of we got done with most of the music and then like the dat machine broke so we ended up having to take like a two or three month break which was torture um mm. and then finally got to go back and we had nothing to listen to in that in that time in between so we got to go back and it was so cool hearing the songs again yeah and, oh man and so we spent a couple more days and just finished it up. It was, I think mean, the whole thing was done in less than a week, total time, total time. And, um, you know, it was, a lot of it was live other than the vocals. Wow. So, um, yeah, we, uh, we just, uh, we were really stoked on it. And then, so Bruce put it out and then we, he would take us on tour. Yeah. We did a lot of touring and, at, and around that time was when the Truby brothers were leaving, were leaving the band. So Corey started playing guitar. So we would do these tours with, Esso Karras would open for Living Sacrifice, and then Corey would also play. He wow. played with you know double duty every night. Um, yeah, so um, uh, Solo State actually didn't end up picking. They didn't end up picking it up until we had been broken up for several yeah, years. Yeah, I thought I had thought it. And it was uh, it was around the time that uh, Living Sacrifice was working. It was like the hammering process era. Yeah, uh, we just happened to be at at, uh, at their label one day, and and. I think Brandon brought it up or maybe Bruce and Brandon was like, yeah, I'll put it out. So, yeah. So he did, it, it had come out um, earlier on a, a, a label in um, Sweden called Dayglo. Oh yeah. yeah. It was also Blindside's label. Yeah. And so, uh, so Karis, we did a tour of Europe with Blindside that was about two or three weeks long. And then uh, that's when we broke up, actually we broke up at the end of that wow. tour while we were still in Europe, <laughs> flew home. And, and uh, that was sort of the end of the first uh, incarnation of that band. But, um, yeah, so uh, I think I answered all your questions. I, I'm yeah. not sure. But, yeah, no, no, no. Yeah. No, totally. I, 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 again, I just, that, that record to me at that time when I discovered you guys, I thought was such a pivotal record for me personally. Um, you know, and I thought it was a record that not enough people heard as well, like just in my yeah. blunt we, opinion. We had this, we did have a very, like, real, like, punk rock DIY epic, and we didn't want like we probably could have uh, had that record released by solid state you know way earlier than we did um probably when they were still called tooth and nail yeah but we just didn't want that like we really yeah. we we kind of uh 
gravitated towards a more like mysterious sure um just sort of public persona you know like all well, the, you, you can't see our faces that goal. you achieved yeah. that goal <laughs> you can't see our faces in any of the pictures i remember when, when hm did the story on us i sent them the picture and it's a picture of us all walking away from the camera yes yes <laughs> i remember he, that he emailed me he's like yeah you got any other pictures and i was like <laughs> nope <laughs> but you but, achieved um, it man yeah that- yeah I appreciate it. I mean, that's it's, what it's what made me time. interested. Like honestly, I was like, "Ooh, what is this all about?" Like, yeah, it was cool. It was awesome. Yeah. Um, and you know, we talked about earlier. You know, Jason Holmes, amazing guy. Got to book Handshake Murders. I'd be remiss not to mention. You know, obviously he passed away. How did you feel about that? Yeah. So you know, Jason was uh, obviously an old friend. You know, he uh, we went through a lot of first experiences together um and uh i love jason deeply and uh you know he was he was a difficult guy yeah um people had really complicated relationships with him but he what he he wasn't a really difficult like when you were with him he was very sweet um yes i agree with that very compassionate um and the kind of guy that would just drop everything he's doing uh to help you yeah um incredibly kind but he he struggled with, with some things and then, yeah. you know, I, I don't, I don't, I'm not airing anything that anyone that knows him doesn't understand. And it just, it's just part of who he is, who yeah. he was. And, um, you know, at the, when he, when he passed, um, last year, I, I hadn't seen him in probably a decade. Hmm. Um, and so I, you know, I was obviously very, very out of touch with him. Um, and he had a real small group of friends there at sure. the end, but, um, you know, I think that he left a really amazing legacy, Absolutely, um, both with Esoteris, but really with the Handshake Murders. I mean, they were such such a great band. Uh, the um, the Usurper record is amazing. It's I know a, it's a, it's a classic. So um, it influenced a ton of bands that came after it. Um, you know, Jason has a, an amazing legacy uh, uh, with his music and also yeah. just who he was as a person. You know, the people that knew him. So absolutely, it's incredibly sad. Um, but uh, he he was loved by a lot of people. Absolutely. I, I would agree with that. I, told, I always tell people he's was like a giant teddy bear. He, he looked like yeah. a monster, but he was a teddy yeah. bear. Like he, he was huge. He was he was, <laughs> he, he, he was intimidating. And it's funny. He was not like that. in so He was a he was a he was like the little guy. That's <laughs> so he like transformed into this other person. Um, it was it was impressive. That's awesome. Cool. Um, so let's talk about you. Oh, you obviously mentioned your brother was playing with Living Sacrifice a little bit. So kind of let's talk about how that kind of materialized and how you became a part of uh, two phenomenal records um, with Living Sacrifice. Uh, well, well, thank you. Um, yeah, so Esso Karras broke up. Um, and real soon after that, I met uh, uh, Ricky Rogers, who was from mm. the band uh, Warlord. Yeah. Um, and uh, so I we both had a love of like bands like Don Caballero and Bark Market. Yeah. And um, just like real aggressive post-rock type stuff. And so I ended up moving down to Hot Springs and he and I started a, a band together. Um, and I probably lived there for about six to eight months. And we, we were playing together all the time. Um, wrote a bunch of like, some of the songs are pretty cool. Other ones are just interesting. Yeah. <laughs> but um we were kind of working loosely on a record and maybe on playing shows, but it was just the two of us. And um, it was a really great time, but it's, you know, somewhere in there, I got a call uh, from uh, Bruce and our Arthur had already joined living sacrifice, like pretty yeah. much immediately, immediately after Esso Karis broke up. So he had moved to little rock. 
Um, and I was only about an hour away in hot springs and yeah, they, Bruce just called and we just ended up talking about drums and percussion. And, um, and I, so I ended up just kind of going on the road with them and I would, uh, just help basically setting up and kind of just helping tech and things yeah. like that sell merch. And, uh, but I would always, uh, when they would play something more from, uh, reborn, like on the record, it has these like extra time. Yeah. yeah. And so I would always get up and play that part, just that one part. And, um, it was always like a real kind of a highlight of the set. We all, we had a, a really fun time doing it and we just started talking about the idea of doing more, uh, just more percussion. And, um, uh, Rocky had joined at that point. So we had a full band yeah. again and um, they had a full band again. And I just, it just was really just like that. I just started sh showing, I moved to Little Rock, started coming to practices um, and just slowly like building up this kit. I just started out with like a Tom and, a, and then pretty soon I had a couple and then I had a snare and then like just some other types of drums and then a tire rim appeared at some point. And, uh, Pretty soon I had like a pretty full on rig and, and, and so, uh, and it was, you know, I started playing with them live and it just kind of progressed to the point where I was just playing the whole time. Wow. Um, like it really wasn't like an intentional thing. It just kind of naturally, Happened. I, just, I yeah. just kept playing and they didn't tell me to stop. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, so it, it just kind of became a really cool, interesting part of the live show. Absolutely. Um, and they already had an amazing live show. Totally. So it, it just added something. Um, yeah, so again, it was like a natural progression. Pretty soon we were in the studio um, and we were writing with, with percussion in mind. Yeah. Um, all set up, run through the songs together, um, everyone writing stuff. Um, yeah, and we, and we made that, that record came together pretty easily. Like when I think yeah. back to it, it was like they had a few songs already. Um, we wrote some more, fleshed out some older ones and then made the record. <laughs> so wow. um, we didn't really... We knew it was cool and different, but we didn't really know what, like, in my mind, like, nothing was going to top Reborn, which is a weird thing to say about the band that you're in. No, I get, I get that. But it was just such an amazing record and still is. Um, but I think as time has gone on that we actually did, we did pretty good, like, at least matching it, I think. I think the hammering process yeah. uh, is, it really turned out cool. Um, and uh, and I think that, that, you know, the to me, it's like Reborn hammering process is like the, the two best records yeah um, I agree with that. but we man, we just toured relentlessly it was the first time we went full-time like all of us you know we all quit our jobs wow. um we would sometimes do things when we were if we were going to be home for a month we'd you know work in a kitchen if we could but we were you know the whole point was to try to stay on the road and see if we could make it work you know and getting salaries <laughs> so yeah um man we toured relentlessly for like two years uh, on the hammering process and, uh, it was great, but I think in the end, there were just people that felt like it wasn't growing enough, you know, sure. in terms of audience size and, and opportunities and things like that. And, and also, man, I think we were just exhausted. I know I, I was two years. And, Are you um, kidding me? Yeah. So we, we had to make another record and, um, conceived in fire, which I also think turned out great. Um, it was way to, it felt more, I really, I, I can't speak for anybody else. I can only speak for me. Sure. My, I, my experience with that record was just, I wasn't, I didn't feel very connected to it. Mm. Um, you know, I, I still wrote parts and had ideas and, and, and contributed, but I did, it didn't, 
I was just very disconnected at that point. Um, so that's all I hear when I when I hear that record. Um, Andy Sneap mixed it, which was really cool, just yeah. to get like a super pro metal mix on something. But um, man, I, I really look back on that time with a ton of fondness. It was great. I'm really proud of all the work we did. Um, I, it's it's definitely still like the hammering process is still the record I, I hear about the most, yeah. <laughs> like from people who just send me random messages. Um, but but yeah, and really at that point, I just really wasn't much. I, you know, I don't. I don't listen to metal. And so, and, sure. I, and I didn't back then either. <laughs> like pretty much when I, at some point in Esocaris, um, other than like the classics, like Metallica and Slayer and all, you know, all the yeah. things I still love. Like I just stopped getting interested in newer, heavy stuff. Um, so that kind of influenced what I decided to do next. Um, which, uh, I guess we can get into that, but yeah. Um, so, the, so real quick, I didn't want to, I wanted to ask you, I know you kind of you'd mentioned obviously the two records. What I just want to know your opinion, like when you heard both of those records, being like I played on these records, these phenomenal records. What was yeah. your thought? Like I just, oh man, anytime I'm still this way, and anytime I've I've finished recording something, I listen to it to death. Um, it's just my favorite thing in the world. Like <clears throat> is to hear something that I've created or contributed to. Um, and so yeah, I remember you know, getting back, you know, back in the day, you got a burned CD and, uh, for the hammering process and just listening in my car and yeah. just couldn't believe it. Like how, how cool it sounded. Um, what we were able to achieve with some of the songs, yeah. um, how present the percussion sounded, even with a full drum set, <laughs> um, which was a real challenge for Barry. Sure. To um, did a great job. Um, yeah, I was, I was incredibly proud of it. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I, uh, I haven't listened to it in a really long time, <laughs> but, um, uh, yeah, I mean, it, I, I'm still that way when I make something new, I, I listen to it almost immediately. And, um, th these days I have the benefit of like, I can change things now. <laughs> like yeah. back then, there's a lot of things on, even on hammering process, like little hits that are off. Sure. It's like, it's like, man, I would so fix that now, but I, I think it adds to the charm. No, absolutely. Um, and I think you have to learn really as a producer to not fix everything. Sure. So it's a kind of a constant struggle, but yeah, incredibly proud of that work. Yeah. And that goes back to the Esocaris. It's kind of like the charm of, of the whole record. I think yeah. I mean, it's okay to mess up and it sound badass. Like, you know, <laughs> yeah, it's, like... it's all over the place. <laughs> <laughs> um, let me ask you, I know you mentioned you toured relentlessly for two years and then obviously the conceived and fire uh, runs and stuff kind of what let's talk about some of the tours you, you guys did. Uh, was there anything that stands out in your head or your mind that, mm -hmm. uh, you know, kind of those tours or, or shows or, or particular bands you played with that you were yeah. like, whoa. Uh, with, with Living Sacrifice, I mean, we uh, we did a lot of touring, like kind of in that Christian circuit. So we like, it was great. We did a ton of shows with like POD and Project sure. 36 and like, you know, bands like that. Um, we did a tour once with uh, um, uh, Squad 5-0. And oh, nice. I, love those guys. I became good guys. incredibly, incredibly uh, good friends with Jeff uh, Fortson. Um, on that tour, uh, just a great guy. Um, yeah. they were, they were so much fun. We had a lot, we had a lot of fun on those tours. Um, a lot of, a lot of hijinks, but, um, <laughs> then, uh, w one time living sacrifice, we played a, a festival kind of show and, and we got to open for, uh, today, 
Today is the Day. Oh, wow. Um, which was amazing. Uh, we played at the festival where Meshuggah headlined. Wow. You know, it's hard to say you played with them, but, uh, you know, you, no, were, you played with them. You shared the stage. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, uh, so, I mean, yeah, things like that where it's always cool when you get to see some of your heroes play. Um, especially totally. I mean, today is today. I was, I was, a, I was a big today is a day fan. Ricky Rogers got me way into them. Totally. And so, uh, the, yeah, I was super stoked about that, but, um, yeah, it's, it all kind of bleeds together now, honestly. <laughs> like okay. I, I have, I have a really comprehensive journal actually, right? I, I used to keep track of everything like religiously. Um, but, uh, yeah, it, it's kind of a blur, man. Two years on the road, nonstop. It's, it's, and then I turned around and did it again. So. Yeah. I'm a glutton for punishment. <laughs> well, and you're you're young enough to have the energy, obviously. Yeah, so. yeah. Um, so that kind of led you to maybe branching out and playing with uh, Unwed Sailor and Jonathan Ford. Yeah. Obviously, amazing. Just had him on the podcast. I love Jonathan. Yeah. He's incredible. And I, I actually was t- talking to him, um, and he was like, "I was like, I want to get Matt on," and he's like, "Oh, let me let me hit him up." And I just, uh, you yeah. know. He's an incredibly yeah, he, gifted dude. He hit me up immediately. Immediately, yeah, um, yeah. John's one of my oldest friends at this point. Um, but yeah, what what happened was, you know, I mentioned I just I just never listened to metal. Um, I was a huge uh, Roadside Monument fan, which oh, I yeah. think most people who are know are in this music scene are, are obviously know who that is. Sure. Um, but just a huge fan of their work. Um, and and then obviously I uh, heard about Unwed Sailor. Uh, they had just released the Firecracker EP. It had Dave Bazan on drums. So good. Um, uh, John wrote all the songs. Uh, Casey Westcott, who went on to be in Fleet Foxes playing guitar. Yeah. Um, and that little four song EP, man, I wore that thing out. Yeah. It was just my favorite thing in the world. The great drum beat on Ruby's Wishes just was iconic immediate, oh, no. immediately. Um, and I was just, I was just such a huge fan. Um, and so uh, I ended up meeting John. Um, we were at Cornerstone. It was the year that uh, Roadside played their last song, uh, their last show. Yeah. And uh, and then Pedro the Lion pl- had just released um, It's Hard to Find a Friend, I think. Yeah, and, which he, and, he uh, played on, I think, yeah. Yeah, he also played. And John, you know, so I saw John play with them and then saw Roadside's <clears throat> last uh, show. And then I ended up going to Chicago uh, to the J- Japuza Jesus. Oh yeah, yeah. USA. Wasn't he living out there? Or? He was. Yeah, and yeah, so yeah. It, was, it was crazy. Like I walked. We just wanted to kind of check it out, see what they did, maybe like volunteer for a week. And so we just literally showed up there. And I walk in, and he's John is sitting at the front desk, like manning the desk. And so I was like, I was starstruck. <laughs> like, <laughs> I love and, that. Uh, I, yeah, and so uh, I'm, a, I'm a very earnest, forthright person. So I was just like, man, you're John Ford. I'm a huge fan. Start gush, <laughs> gushing. Um, and we just became friends like that. We, we spent about a week there in, in Chicago. Uh, he, he, he helped us find somewhere to stay in the building. And we just hung out every day. Just go. He took us around Chicago showing us cool stuff um talked about music um just became friends like that week that's awesome and so uh when i came back home and he he had already put elmwood sailor back together at japuza and that's where he had nick nick say who played on the on the uh the second and third records uh, well second third and fourth um and then he had just i can't remember who the drummer he had a few different drummers he was working with so he had already put elmwood sailor back together um i got home and then um I don't know how much longer it was, but I just sent him an email. I was like, Hey man, 
I'm a huge fan, like of obviously of the Owen Sailor record. If you ever need a drummer, Dude, just like let let me know, and I'll I'll amazing. drive up and we'll see if it works. And uh, he he hit me back like immediately. He's like, "Yeah, we need a drummer." That's <laughs> so incredible. We we made a plan. I drove up there. Uh, met I, I can't remember if I had already met Nick, but um, and we, we had a tour booked. So like we had like two or three days to get ready, and I wow. so met them, and we just immediately immediately started playing. And and at the time. Nick had just gotten this boomerang pedal so he could like loop his guitar parts. Yeah. But we weren't, that's real common now. And a lot of times, I mean, the drummer is almost always has a click. So mm -hmm. they don't have to worry about timing. Well, we didn't have a click. So like, I just had to listen to like Nick's guitar intensely because once he starts looping it, you can't. What? Yeah. The, the loop oh. is static. You have to stay with it. And man, the first day was a catastrophe. I, I felt like, I couldn't, I wasn't gonna be able to do it. Um, got real down on myself and uh, just kind of just decided that I had to find a way to figure out how to play with that pedal. Yeah. Because uh, it when it would fall apart, it was real hard to put it back together. And so I finally figured out that if I listened for certain notes, like these high notes he would hit, like Nick had a very, has a very like classic chimey kind of sound to his very yeah. melodic. And so if I, if I could just listen for certain sounds and made, just make sure they're always in the same place, you know, when I'm playing drums and that was like the key, like once I wow. just, instead of like trying to listen to the whole loop and stay with it, I would just listen for these key little moments and make sure that I was in the right place. And we were like a machine after that. Oh, um, that's so I think cool. that, I think the very first show mine, I was, that's probably the most nervous I've ever been at a show. <laughs> and uh, I thought I was going to throw up and I, I think I messed up on one song. Uh, but that was the, like the only mistake did the whole tour with no problem. So, wow. um, yeah, no, it just kind of went from there. We, we turned around and, uh, made the, uh, well, they, they had already recorded the, uh, the second Unwed Sailor, uh, record faithful anchor yeah. and, uh, Matt uh, Johnson from Roadside Monument played drums on that. One of my favorite drummers. So obviously. good. And, um, so, uh, but he, John and Nick had been writing this idea for like a, a, a musical album where the instruments are represented by characters. So they had written this whole record, the, the marionette and the music box, where the, the marionette is the bass, the music box is the guitar, and all the other sounds are characters. Yeah. So you, we, couldn't, we, we couldn't add a sound unless it had a reason to be there. Wow. <laughs> like it had to represent something. Uh, they came to Arkansas, and we recorded that at the studio that I had with my friend Matt Depper. Um, we called it Stalactite Oracle Studios. Great name. <laughs> um, <clears throat> excuse me. And uh, yeah, made that whole record um, here, 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 in, here in Arkansas. And then yeah, turned around did a did a tour on that record. That's awesome. Um, and uh, yeah, it kind of went from, just just kept going from there. But uh, uh, around that time is when I started playing with Love Drug. Oh, nice. So, yeah, that that's when my everything took a, a real swift change. And how, <laughs> so, did, how did that come about? Uh, yeah, so I uh, there was this band called Kareth Ravine. Oh, I remember um, that name actually. And they had put out like an EP and a full length. Um, I can't remember what the labels they were on. They were kind of hard to find. Um, and I I was obsessed with this band. Um, it was just like someone took everything I loved about. Uh, the Smashing Pumpkins and Sunny Day Real Estate and Radiohead, mm. and, and and like put, made one made it into a band. That sounds incredible. <laughs> uh, Michael, yeah, Michael Shepard's voice, just the 
the musicianship, the songwriting. I, I was obsessed, huge yeah. fan. And so, um, and they, so they had kind of broken up. Uh, I was actually on tour with Unwed Sailor and we played a show somewhere in Ohio and Love Drug uh, opened for, I, I think they opened for us. Oh, nice. And, um, and, and Love Drug was uh, Michael uh, and Adam from Kareth Ravine. It was their new band. And um, I was already obsessed because, I mean, I was just like a mega fan. Yeah. Um, and uh, I think it was actually Adam Baker who had given me the love drug. I, I don't know if uh, some people might be familiar with Adam Baker, but just a old school scene scene guy yeah. from, from back then. Great guy. But he had, he, he had given me the love drug. Like, it, I don't know if they were demos or like the first mm -hmm. rough recordings. I loved it, fell in love with it. And so I was kind of familiar with them. But we played the show, and uh, Tim Eddings, uh, who was Love Drug, Love Drug's manager. Okay, yeah, yeah. He just noticed me. I guess is the only way to put it. <laughs> like he, yeah. he uh, just thought the show was good. Thought I was a good drummer. And he, there were there were some issues with the Love Drug drummer. They had just recorded mm -hmm. the record, and he was he was a great guy, but he was just a wild card. Sure. Uh, and uh, I don't really know all the stories, but he became difficult <laughs> to uh, to to be around. Sure. And so they needed a drummer. And so um, I had talked to Tim that night, told him how much I love character V and love the love drug stuff, how great they were live. Um, and so Tim called me uh, probably several months later and the drummer they had had was officially out and they had mm. several shows booked. And Tim is like a real, he was an old school manager. He had, you know, if we were playing a show, there was a reason someone coming to see us or like, yeah. And so he was just like, the show is, next week is wow. there any way you can learn the set and and fly out here and i was like i already know the set <laughs> so, <laughs> so uh I, I and i did so i uh flew out there the next week i we rolled up to this club called the lime spider uh, i got out met the members of the band officially we walked up on stage went through the whole set once and then played a show <laughs> unbelievable <laughs> um and it, it wasn't that bad uh, we got a lot better but it wasn't that bad yeah um and man, I was just, I loved it. It was my dream band at, you wow. know, at the time. Um, and that, that, that is not any shade to any other band that I'm in. Uh, obviously like Unwood Sailor is a dream band for me. Absolutely. Um, but it was just, there was the thing about that was just like, it was, it was just like the rock and roll band, like going yeah. for it, you know, like it was just that thing. And it was just, well, that, and you, that, got that the, you got the vocals and you got the melody and not that, yeah. you know, Unwood doesn't have that, but it's, you know, it's just kind of the whole shebang just yeah. a different kind of different kind of band completely but it was just more like you know the childhood dream of like the you know the, the rock band yeah but uh and it was just fun I, I really liked the songs and it was just a good time and so yeah I, I ended up moving to Ohio um and also uh, around that time Adam uh, the bass player Adam Ladd the bass player from Love Drug he just really couldn't commit to the touring Mm -hmm. So uh, my old friend Matt Depper uh, back in the picture nice. again. He's been in, in at this point every band that I've been in, uh, and so he, he became the bass player, and we both moved to Ohio, yeah. and then spent about two years touring. Wow, um, relentlessly, uh, all over the place. We we uh, it was great. We uh, we got to open for the Killers uh, at South uh, Southwest. Unbelievable! Before, before anybody knew who they were, <laughs> like there was like. It was a. It was the day uh, Elliot Smith died. I remember that. Whoa! We were all backstage talking about it. 
Um, but for the ki the killers, it was like their showcase. They had a bunch of label people coming out, but we were sharing gear with them. So like we had to just like work out all the details and they were super nice, great guys. Their show was incredible. Oh yeah. Six, six months later, they were on top of the world. It was, it was oh, wild. Really? It was wild. Um, that was really cool. We got, we got to open for Robert Plant, wow. which was ridiculous. Like, uh, we had to drive all night. We were at uh, South by Southwest and we had an offer to open for Robert Plant in North Carolina. <laughs> Whoa. <that's laughs> we, were far. In, we were in Austin. And so we did it. We, we played our show and got immediately in the van, drove all night and rolled up to the club just in time for like to unload. And, uh, it was amazing though. We got to watch from side stage, like balcony, just watching yeah, Robert's that, plant. Man. It was amazing. Um, yeah, we, uh, yeah, we, we, we played so many great shows and met so many cool people. I mean, we, we got, I mean, Tim got assigned to Columbia records. Like we had, it, it was like going on, but, uh, it just all fell apart. It was kind of the worst, Ugh. worst time for the music industry. You know, you'd have an A&R guy, he'd be working real hard for you and then he would Disappear. be gone. Yeah. And then all of a sudden we had, had this contract with a label and no one, nobody there knew who we were. And you can't, That's... you can't make it unless you have someone, an A&R guy fighting, you know, fighting totally. for, for you. So it just kind of fell apart. And I, and that's really, that's really when I kind of hit that brick wall for myself. Like, uh, I'm, I, I don't want to tour like this. I just want to make yeah. records. And so we, we, we did make the, uh, the second love drug record. Everything starts where it is. And yeah. which I'm tremendously proud of. Yeah. Let's talk um, about that. Yeah. Great. How record. was that? How was that for you? Uh, it was super fun. I, I'm saying great record about my own record, but, uh, <laughs> it was just, uh, it was just really fun. Like we had been writing, we wrote a ton, like pretty much if we weren't on the road, we were at the practice space. Yeah. So we had a lot of songs worked up and a lot of things to choose from. Uh, Tim was very critical of all of our demos, which was mm. something new to me to like, think you, you know, to think you had made the best thing ever. And then someone tell you that uh, that sounds, that sounds like Sarah <laughs> McLaughlin. <laughs> I love her. I, I do too. You're like, yeah, that's what, that's what we wanted to do. He's like, yeah, don't do that. Uh, but <laughs> uh, it was great. I, I, we probably should have listened closer to him. Um, but uh, yeah, so we were just always busy writing. Yeah. Um, playing together we were we got we became so tight as a band like uh I, i've never seen like a love drug video from when i was in the band and been like embarrassed nice. <laughs> like like we were just really tight um we we had a good show and um yeah so we went in we, we made that record with uh tim padlin who was tim uh padlin is uh like andy padlin is his brother and they're both associated with that band sponge that had like, oh yeah, yeah. Love hit in the 90s and so they had this great awesome studio um in michigan i can't remember so maybe like a couple hours outside of detroit or less than an hour i can't remember but it was like a horse ranch snow everywhere yeah. middle and middle of nowhere like fargo country um and uh but had this great studio called the loft and so yeah we spent a couple weeks there uh flew home came back a couple months later and finished it um yeah it's 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 a really rad record um yeah one one cool claim to fame from that record is uh, there's a song called Salt of the Earth where it's like the beat, the main drum beat is like we were like stomping and dropping chains, like this kind of <laughs> haunted, spooky vibe. And uh, whenever uh, The Last of Us video game was coming out, the very first game, they used that song for one of the early like promos before the That's game was so out. That's so cool. Yeah, so you can like go and find this, you know, it's just like a, some 
a little bit of story from from the game before it came out. It was just like a promo thing, and they, yeah, and they used that song kind of at some point in it. It just it was really cool. So yeah, um, but yeah, I was really really proud of that record. Turned out great. What did you guys decide on the guys from or the guy from Sponge? Like, what was the? Uh, Tim did the first Love Drug record. record um, huh. Pretend you're alive. And he did so you just want to go with it again? Yeah. yeah, just going back to the same guy who who did so great the first time. The hit maker. The hit maker. <laughs> <laughs> Sick, dude. So you obviously decided to get to that point where you're not, I don't want to travel anymore. I'm done. I'm. Is that kind of when you started to maybe recluse yourself back to wanting to live at home? You know, maybe you know, do production yeah. or engineering, what whatever it may be. And is that kind of where that led to? Yeah, I I, I moved back uh back to Arkansas, uh, lived with my little brother Adam for a while. Um, around that time, uh, well, sort of during the last few months of of, of love love drug, um, I had started dating uh my my wife uh, Sarah, but we started nice. dating right around that same time. So I moved back, um living with my brother Adam and we were working on uh the first record for a band called uh, Bear Colony that we nice. that we had and we did it all at, at Adam's house he was kind of learning how to produce as well um and so I was I knew nothing really about it I was still stuck in four track tape land I hadn't mm. caught up really much with the digital side of things um sure Matt Depper and I did have a studio but he ran the board um because I just didn't I was just there for ideas and performances. Like he's the one that was doing all the engineering. So yeah, that's just when I started learning though, uh, watching Adam work at first and then starting to acquire gear. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I kind of just immediately went into like a family life. Um, you know, Sarah and I got married a few years later. Uh, we, we have two boys. They're, they're 21 and 22 now. Mine are um, the same age, man. I get it. <laughs> yeah. I get and, it. Uh, so, uh, our son, Kate, our son, Cade, uh, is, a uh, sorry, he's 22. And, um, uh, Cade is her son from her first marriage. And then my son, sure. Miles, who just turned 21, my son from my first marriage. Sure. So, uh, we don't have kids together, but we just had a, we immediately had a family. Uh, That's they so were like cool. two and three at the time. And so, yeah, we, uh, got, got our first place and, uh, I had, it was the first time I had, not the first time I, I had a dedicated studio space uh, bef- before, but it was like this time it was mine, yeah. <laughs> like all mine wasn't sharing it with anybody. Um, so yeah, we worked on that first Bear Colony record, finished, finished it. That came out. Um, they did a lot of touring. I, th- at that point, I just wasn't, I was still playing shows now and again, but just no sure. touring. I just didn't want to be on the road. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's like from there, it just became, there was just like this, 10 year learning period, basically yeah. from like 2006 to like 2015 ish, um, where I was just trying different DAWs, you know, like started with uh, fruity loops and then started using audition, tried pro tools and ended up landing on Ableton, uh, which okay, I, yeah. love, I absolutely yeah. love. And I've used Ableton for a decade at this point. Wow. Um, and that just, I mean, fruity loops helped a lot. I got, you know, I'm, I really wanted to explore sampling and mm-hmm. like um, like sort of hip hop production techniques, but I wanted you know uh, with like indie music, pop music, things like that. Um, sure. Nothing, nothing new at all, but I wanted to understand how to do it, and so um, just got heavily into that, you know. And so f- for ten years, like I was still like playing on records now and again, but I was really just learning how to like produce on your <laughs> like, craft. On your craft, yeah, man. yeah. That, that was really it. Just like 
uh, <clears throat> learning how to get, get, create what I was hearing in my head, yeah. you know, as closely as I could. So, um, you know, in that time we did the, the first two bear colony records, uh, on what sailor did little wars yeah, uh, great in record. that time. Um, I played on uh, redeemer by Norma Jean. Yeah. Um, did a record with, uh, David Thomas Owen, who was the guitar player for love drug, which oh, is nice. a really, yeah, really yeah. great. It's like three members of love drug, uh, me, Matt Depper and Dave immediately after the band broke up, Dave made. So it's like this, <laughs> it's like this alternative unit universe love drug record with Dave nice. on, on, on to check that out. it's cool. He's a great songwriter. Um, and then, uh, yeah, like, you know, there were a bunch of little records sprinkled in there and again, but, um, didn't, you know, at some point, probably about three or four years ago is when I really started working with other bands. So like, um, my thing is like, I, I don't have to have a studio to make money. It's just, sure. it's not a money making venture. It's just because I enjoy it. Sure. Um, so I don't have to do anything I don't want to do, <laughs> which yeah, is great. a great place to be in. I mean, Absolutely. I say, I say no to more things than I say yes to. Um, but yeah, it's kind of, I, I would, I think, you know, the way I kind of want to spend the rest of my career is really my music career is just in this, this place, like producing, yeah. collaborating, uh, and, and really, I, I like to work with like younger artists who don't really know what they sound like yet Yeah, and kind of like help them find that. That's great. Um, I really enjoy that. I, I did a first record that I fully produced in my own, in my space here. It was by a band called Van Goons and it's called the, the Ha Ha ZP. Mm. Uh, it's on Spotify. Uh, I'm very, very proud of it. That's um, cool. I think that it's pretty great. And they, they were all like uh, high schoolers when they made it. And it's, it's going to blow your mind if you go, if you listen to it. I'll um, listen to it. So incredibly talented. Um, so, uh, yeah, I just love it. I, I love, uh, you know, I'd love to go to my grave having worked on like 700 records if I can. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's cool. Cause you're like to an age where you can not so much influence, but you can do what you probably were influenced when you were in Esocarius or, yeah. you know, you're kind of, it's kind of full circle in a weird way, um, where you're just yeah. like being able to put your stamp on something and you've got a lot of you know, of, of history and past that really lends you the talent, you know, and the ability to do that and, and the respect, obviously, you know, I think that's yeah. so cool that you're in that good spot. That's, that's amazing. Yeah. I appreciate it. Yeah. I, uh, it's weird. Like I'm like, it's like, I'm going to, I'm happy. Like, yeah, people ask that's me, great. You know, like, uh, you know, how's life? It's like, it's not this like fake answer. It's like, man, I really no. You're enjoy right. my enjoy my life now. <laughs> I'm in the same spot. I'm in. It wasn't always that way. <laughs> no, I dude, I I get it. I, yeah. you know, it's weird. It's like you know, age and maturity and all that stuff. It, when it comes to comes into it, it's like you have a fork in the road. You can go one way and try to do something good about it, or you can live in misery. And a lot of people, unfortunately, live in misery. But it's yeah, you know, that's cool that you've got. I'm really I'm really stoked for you. That sounds awesome. Yeah, appreciate so, it. So. Obviously, you mentioned working with Nora Jean, your brother, obviously, crushing it. Um, yeah. So let's talk about uh, working on uh, with, with Norma Jean on the All yeah. Hell record. Like kind of how, like, obviously, I'm assuming I know how that happened. But let's let's kind of <laughs> yeah. talk about that, that record. Yeah, so I should probably back up a little bit. I should have mentioned this. But so, you know, when Esso Karras broke up, um, Arthur and myself went to uh, Living Sacrifice. Corey joined Norma Jean. And uh, Jason started the handshake murders. <laughs> so 
um, three, you know, three uh, insane three, bands. Yeah, yeah. Like, so, um, that's just, that's just what happened. And so, uh, yeah, Corey joined Norma Jean after, um, their first record, Bless the Martyr, Kiss the Child came out and it did really well. Um, it's a great record. We were, yeah. we were just, we were friends with them. They were big SO Karis fans. I remember them coming to our, finding us at Cornerstone and being like, please come watch us play. That's awesome. And we were like, okay, sick. And we went and, and, uh, that happens a lot, you know, you get demos from people mm. bands ask you to see them play. And un unfortunately a lot of times it's not good. Like yeah, I believe <laughs> it. ask anyone from back then, there's, there were a lot of jokes about demos, you know, like, uh, you know, where you would, uh, the demo was so good. You gave it to roadside records. It's <laughs> <laughs> <That's> incredible. <laughs> it's terrible, terrible. But, um, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> so, uh, but they were incredible. <laughs> like we were blown away. Yeah. They were, they were called ludicrous at the time. Yeah. I saw actually. Saw yeah. Them at the yeah. Time. And they, they were real big fans. I, I didn't mention this, you know, so Karis after we broke up, we, we had two songs that we hadn't recorded. So we, we recorded them ourselves and put out a seven inch. Um, and it sounds gnarly, but I'm really proud of it. Like the songs are, um, you can find it on YouTube and stuff. Oh, we've, wow. never, we've never released them like digitally anywhere. Um, but uh, yeah, it's called uh, the setting roots for winter seven inch. It's kind of hard right. to find. I'm looking that up. I didn't know that. Yeah, um, it's way different than the. You know, we were. It's way closer to the sound. I think we were going to kind of end up with and yeah. just the themes. Um, but it's just like it's. We didn't know what we were doing making a record, yeah. so the recording is rough. But um, anyway, uh, yeah. So Corey was in Origin. Uh, they did uh, the Oh God, the Aftermath record it was the yeah. first one that he was on. And then the record after that was Redeemer and they, they did it with Ross Robinson oh, and wow. it was like right around the time I was, I was home. I was just working, uh, learning how to, you know, make music, how to uh, produce music. And he just said, Hey, you want to come fly out to, you know, LA and like work on this record with us. So, and he was thinking more like percussion, let me sacrifice type sure. that kind of approach. Uh, so that's what I did. I went out there. They rented me this big percussion rig, and I just played uh, percussion on that record. And also wow. uh, one song, we Daniel and I, we did like a double drum thing. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, I just had a great time. Flew out a couple times to a, a few different studios where they were working on it. Um, you know, Corey and I just have a really easy musical uh, connection, kin kinship, yeah. obviously. Yeah. We're, we're yeah. brothers, and we learned how to play music together. <laughs> so there's like this fundamental, like, uh, thing between us, you know, yeah. we learned how to do what we're doing with the other person right next to us. Amazing. So it's just like a, a connection that's really easy. And so, um, uh, yeah, from there they, they put out a bunch more amazing records, yeah. but, um, around they, after the, um, polar similar record, which I, I want to say it came out like 20, 15, 16, 17, uh, yeah, 17, maybe, I don't know. Yeah. Um, you know, the band just kind of, uh, I don't want to say it fell apart, but like several members left and, sure. uh, and, uh, it was just kind of time to put the band together again. And so, uh, Corey uh, met Grayson Stewart, who was playing in this, we met him through a, a, a band here in town called Harvester and just okay. knew him immediately that he was a, just an insanely talented guitar player. Um, and his whole story about Norma Jean is really, really interesting. There's some interviews online, uh, where you can, he basically, willed it into existence that he was wow. going to join Norma Jean one day That's by incredible. like learning everything about the band. He just happened to live in Van Buren where Corey lives. So he would see Corey around town. He got all the same gear, like learned just like just, and 
just basically prepared himself to be in Norma Jean, <laughs> which is crazy. That's incredible. Um, yeah, it's so cool. He's such a great guy. Um, and so, uh, and then, and it happened. Corey, you know, scooped him up very quickly. Um, and uh, at the time, Jeff Hickey was still in the band, but yeah, um, I know Jeff. It, yeah, yeah. So he, uh, Jeff just had a lot going on, and yeah. so, um, uh, you know, it was basically Corey and Grace and. And so I just offered Corey like, Hey, I'll just, I can come in just, you know, you're just 15 minutes away from me. I can come and play drums. So, so we can write or so you guys can write yeah. and, and have a drummer in the room. And so that's what we did. Uh, I went, I met, I had met Grayson briefly before when he came to my house, um, Corey did a guest vocal for his band Harvester. That's how, okay. we, that's how, we, that's how we met them. Nice. <clears throat> and, uh, yeah, I heard that song and heard his guitar playing. I mean, Corey were like, Whoa. This this kid can shred. <laughs> so um, uh, yeah. So it was just me and Corey and, and Grayson. Uh, we started writing all hell, um, and it ended up just being way more fun than we expected. That's cool. And you know, I was always just playing the part of like just being there to be a drummer, so they could, yeah. you know. But pretty soon, it was like the parts were written, and like, and everyone was happy with them. Um, I'm really, st I'm, you know, I've never really been a great, like heavy metal drummer. Like I really yeah. am more of just like naturally more of like in that post-rock sure, indie rock. That's just my style. Um, so, we'll, you know, the last thing I want to do is like force myself onto a record and make or force someone to do a bunch of edits. Um, so, uh, you know, Matt Marquez, who had been playing with, uh, Norma Jean off and on for many years, um, he played drums. We went to the studio and he actually played drums on the record itself oh, and nice. just, just killed it. Um, but you know, it's like, it was just super fun. Like we're all, you know, I, I hear, I hear myself in that record, you know, even though cool. I, I don't, and the same thing with, with the newest record that just came out, uh, last August called death rattle sing for me, like yeah. same, same team from all, except for Jeff Hickey. Um, he, he came in sort of at the tail end of all hail and, and helped finish it out yeah, and contributed so much um, amazing yeah. guitar great, to that record. Um, the Rain, which is one of my favorite songs on the record, is that you know Jeff wrote that song. So, um, yeah, so it just kind of became this thing where I just was in uh, Norma Jean, <laughs> and so um, they they call me the ghost member because I don't yeah because you don't tour, I don't obviously. I don't play live I don't tour um, I'm not even in the pictures uh, I was in one video but like I'm in the corner um, yeah. I just uh, write and help produce. That's awesome. Yeah. How do you, uh, I, I know it's funny cause you, you've mentioned a couple of times you're like, I'm not really into metal, but you have a incredibly yeah. gifted <laughs> talent at <laughs> crushing these metal records. Like, uh, I mean, Oh man, it's funny. You know. I appreciate it. I, I, I enjoy it. I mean, I can't even, I don't listen to it just because it just doesn't move me. Like, but when, when I, I mean, again, like when I listen to the stuff that I'm on, sure. it moves me, <laughs> you know, it's like, it's, no, I uh, get it. It's just different, you know, I, um, and yeah, I still like, I understand heavy music. Like sure. I, I understand how to, how to do it, <laughs> even though it's not, you know, my favorite kind of music to make. Sure. But I do. I mean, I end up working with a ton of heavy bands because of it, um, well, which, which I only do the ones I like. <laughs> hey, yeah, absolutely. You deserve that. So Obviously, work on these Norma Jean records, and around that same time is you and your brother decided to do what Orphan Twin, and kind of yeah. tell me about how that materialized. And I listened to a song I didn't, I did not know what to expect when I heard it, and I was like, "Whoa, this yeah. is 
heavy as hell. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, not that oh. not that that wouldn't be this case, but I just didn't know the departure. Yeah. I didn't know. So the the thing about the uh, about Future Classic from Orphan Twin, um, uh, which also came out, uh, I think it's we're getting probably maybe close to a year. Um, I can't really remember when it came out, but um, uh, yeah, Corey and I just had some songs that we they didn't really feel one of them in particular kind of started off as a Norma Jean song. And we just, we just kind of felt like it wasn't the right uh, band for the song. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and that's really how all the songs are. But then we also, I mean, so the record is actually all over the place. Like, yeah, there's definitely a lot of heavy on it, but there's also, you know, like the final song is like, it's more like a Beatles, <laughs> you know, it's got totally. like, no, I get what um, you're saying. So it's like, it's, it's, you know, and there's like one song on there, you know, more like a friendly radio rock kind of thing. So yeah, we, we just kind of wanted to make a no rules record where it's just him and I doing everything like as a two piece. Totally. Um, and so that's what we did. We just kind of had these songs set aside. And after we finished the final mix for Death Rattle, by, uh, Norma Jean's Death Rattle, we just immediately jumped to Orphan Twin. Um, Solid State, State heard a demo and said they wanted to put it out. So we already had a label backing us and so uh yeah we went up to uh michael palmquist who is the uh other guitar player in norma Jean. sure um he has a great studio uh, he's a great very very talented engineer and producer um he's got a studio up in springfield uh called uh spire audio nice and so we went there uh for the kind of basic tracking drums um did a lot of stuff here um, and yeah, and just kind of put that record together. Michael mixed it. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's, if I had to like, say like the, the record records I'm most proud of, like, yeah, I was gonna that, ask you that, that one is really, I was gonna high, ask you that. really high up there. <laughs> That's cool though. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, do you feel like it was stuff that you had written over a long period of time or was it just kind of like, yeah. I know you mentioned one song was yeah, didn't fit Norma Jean, but like, was it stuff that ideas over the years? Or yeah, there was one. I mean, Hominy, which is the final song. It's it's more of kind of ballad ish. Uh, it's acoustic based. Corey wrote it. I think he had had that kicking around for several years because I had definitely heard some of the parts throughout the years when when he would just be playing. Um, but for for that song, we got it's the first song uh, where all three of my brothers are on. Wow, the song so. Uh, obviously I'm on drums and like some of the sampling percussion and, and backing vocals. Corey is on lead vocals, uh, acoustic guitar, bass. My brother Adam played uh, piano and my, uh, our oldest brother Tristan played the French horn. That's incredible. So, yeah. It's a, or, I mean, I got uh, first few times I listened to it. It was like emotional. I bet <laughs> like, it was. I was like, I'm just going to let this be emotional, man. This is really well, cool. You should. I've I always wanted a, to do it. That's incredible. That's so yeah. cool. Like I, I honestly did not know that. That's really, really cool. And, yeah, I think it's there's what a what a beautiful thing, honestly. Yeah, there's a bunch of cool Easter eggs like that on that record. Like uh, the very first song, uh, it, you can hear us like talking in the background, and it's a recording of the first time Corey was just telling me how the riff went. So he's <laughs> like, so it's like this, and then you do this, and then the drums do this. So and we're kind of playing it on our laps, and so I synced that up with the beat. That's so like, sick. You're hearing the song while you're also hearing us the first time we ever talked about it. That's so cool. <laughs> so like, we, there's lots of like stuff like that. I like to have, and I know Corey, you know, like just have stories, you know, underneath songs, and yeah, people, people don't have to know that the story is there, but I think that it still adds this dimension that you can 
feel when you hear totally. it. Totally. Yeah. Absolutely. That's so cool, man. I it's weird because I only heard, you know, I listened to it recently because I knew I was going to talk to you, and I was like, "This is really cool. I like this." And now that you've said that, I'm like, I'm going to listen to it in a different, <laughs> yeah, a different Changing. realm. You know, it really yeah. does. You know, that's cool. cool. That's super cool. Yeah. So, no touring with that at all. Just a studio project. Uh, we're talking about maybe playing uh, some shows whenever. I mean, right now it's just a streaming only. Sure. Uh, but we're working on the physical for the vi- the vinyl. Nice. And, the C- and the, I don't know if we're going to do. I mean, I don't. We might just do vinyl. I don't know, but we're working on that. So whenever the vinyl is coming out, we're, we were talking about maybe doing a show or two, That'd be cool. um, but we'll see. We got to figure out how to do all that noise. Yeah, with two man. People. I get that. <laughs> yeah. Sweet. Well, <clears throat> so that brings me to project 86. Yeah. Um, talk to me about project 86. I saw them many moons ago and I've, you yeah. know, I always kind of enjoyed them from afar. I'm not never been a massive fan, but I do like. I think they're phenomenal in their own right. Yeah. Uh, kind of tell me how that kind of uh, materialized, came together. Uh, you know, we'll talk yeah. about that doing a new record. Yeah. So I so I knew Andrew from way back in the day. Uh, Living Sacrifice and Project Eighty Six did a lot of touring together. So I, I just knew him, but uh, Corey knew him as well. Obviously, Norma Jean. You just get up crossing paths with the mm-hmm. same bands over and over. So. Um, at some point, Andrew had a podcast. He had Corey on. They had a good talk. Um, Andrew was a big fan of of the All Hell record, Norma Jean All Hell record. And so um, he knew basically Project is it's like their last record. Hmm. And he, uh, the way he tells it, he just has always wanted to make something heavier. And he had kind of tried to do it before, but nothing. He could never get it to where he wanted it to be. Yeah. Um, and so he, this was like, I'm going to make the heaviest thing that project 86 has ever made and no, <laughs> nobody, nobody's going to stop me. So, uh, so we hit Corey up just for like, you know, he- basically like thoughts or like, you know, ideas. What, what do you think about this? Yeah. And Corey just volunteered to help. And then pretty soon you know, he just immediately said, let's talk to Matt. Um, and then for there it was like Grayson was on <laughs> um, and then uh, Matt Marquez. So it's, 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 Four people from five people from Norma Jean. It's Norma Jean eighty six. Um, yeah, it's. It, I mean, it uh, really kind of is. Uh, obviously, Andrew uh, Young's sure. vocals are a huge part of it. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, so we just started. Right, you know, la- really the last couple of years we started. Re- it's a double album. Wow. Um, but the first record uh, was completed. Um, uh, it. I think. I think it comes out this week. Okay. Um, it was completed late. Uh, late last year. And since then, we're working on these two EPs. One of them is like the temp name is like the Brutality EP. It's just like stuff that's even heavier than the wow. main record. And then the other one is called the Digital EP, which is like more experimental. Sure. Like different takes on it's still like heavy, but like not going for like brutal. So, um, yeah, we're I mean, we're real close to finishing all, all the whole thing. Like it's all going to be wrapped up by like the 20th of next month. So or not all of it, but like um, all the, the main writing and stuff will, yeah. be mix, will be mixing a little longer. But um, yeah, so that that's really how it came about. He, we just all started working on it, and um, it's really cool. Uh, uh, Michael Palmquist actually did – so Grayson wrote the majority of the first record, Omni. Mm-hmm. Um, Grayson and Corey and, and then myself on the back end. And then – but Michael Palmquist, you know – uh, wrote the majority of the stuff for these for these two uh, EPs. So nice. 
super, super talented guitar player and, and writer. So yeah, it's like, it's just the dream team. You know, you, you, you so cool. no one's going to stop me from having a great time when I'm working with like my favorite people to work with. That's great. So um, I do, and I do want to say, you know, I, I know we kind of s- skipped over uh, Umboid Sailor a little bit, but you know, I've, we didn't really skip over it, but uh, you know, I joined sure. Umboid Sailor and then, and then went to Love Drug, but you know, Umboid Sailor has continued putting out records. Yeah, like, absolutely. The whole time. So um, and so we're on a kind of a streak right now where we're putting out a record uh, every year. Absolutely. So it started with a heavy age. Um, yeah. Which was, I think, 2019 or 18. Um, heavy and age. Truth or, and then, truth or consequences. Truth um, consequences. Phenomenal record. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. That we also did that one. Pri- we did a lot of the recording here and then John finished it up. Yeah. Up Bloomington. Uh, Look alive was compl- record recorded completely here. Um wow. But yeah, and then from there we did uh, the live at Convest, which is yeah. just us playing live. Um, and then uh, Mutha Charm just so came good. out, dude. Uh, so good. Go, yeah. I, I'm really, really, really proud of it. I think it's it's kind of a throwback to early Unwed, but uh, you know, while still bringing in a lot of the things that makes the band totally sound like it sounds now. But um, such a fun record to make, um, mixed by Chris Colbert, who's like one dude, of my favorite, I know heroes. He's so sick. <laughs> Yeah, mixed and mastered. Um, Dude, he just really made it magical. Um, He's so good. And we're we're getting very close to being done with the with the next record. That's um, and he, uh, that's and, what he mentioned. Yeah, when he when yeah. I always say he's like, I'm already on to the next one. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, nuts. Like, yeah, it's really close. Um, and we're we're already booking time with Chris to mix it. So I'm super excited. We're gonna fly up. I'm gonna go and actually be there this time for mixing, which I'm over that's the cool. moon about just to. to watch him work and pick I already hit him up and said I bet. do you mind if i nerd out and he was fully open to it <laughs> so, so chris is up in uh the old national freedom studio which is richard swift's old studio yes yeah, same exact space so like i mean oh that's richard, right he left it to him right or something like that it's like his family yeah. i yeah. think still maybe still owns it but chris, you know chris runs yeah. it now um so i mean it's just so many amazing records were made there <laughs> like it's, it's ridiculous so like i'm i'm just excited to be there in the room in in that kind of historic studio and then to, to watch chris work I'm, yeah and and it's like we're working on an unwood sailor record which is like my lifelong love <laughs> uh, you know in terms of let me band. let me ask you this i know jonathan obviously writes you know the majority of the music but w- when you're contributing to unwed sailor what are you bringing? Like, what are, I mean, like I was yeah. telling him, for instance, I, truth or consequences to me sounds like a, a cure record. Like I like yeah. literally the cure. He was listening yeah. to it nonstop. So it's like, is the influence on all of you at the same time? Or is it just yeah. all, you know? Yeah. So the way it usually works or, or at least how it's worked since like uh, heavy age Um is like he just records a lot of ideas like on his phone um and he is just always writing and so uh but he's also john is very like strategic he's always grouping grouping albums so he knows like okay i want this for this album and then yeah so basically he'll send me like these bass demos and um a a lot of times i'll go and like you know, he's just playing freehand but i'll go and i'll use ableton to like put it on a grid yeah and so then i'll just start like adding drums um and like percussion usually program stuff but I'll, sometimes yeah. I'll, I'll mic up my set and play something um and then i'll like send that back to him and i'll maybe i'll arrange it a little bit yeah um and add like 
sampled sounds or sometimes some keyboards or something. But yeah, that's kind of how some songs start. Other ones, um, he'll just come here with the idea and and we just start building it. And yeah, he's always... He always has another idea, so it's like we we do the bass, we do uh, you know we'll have some drums ready. He'll do the bass, and then it's like keyboard, and he'll we'll have like fifteen <laughs> like tracks of keyboard, just adding and adding, changing. Well, sound. it seems like you guys are on the same page, which is yeah, we were you know a, a benef- like a complete yeah. like it's incredible. Like, yeah, yeah, John and I have like no issues working together. It's very fluid, and like we work well, quick. It sounds we like work it's fluid. really quick. <laughs> yeah, I mean, just the whole thing is just uh, we just work well together. Um, but yeah, so um, uh, other times we've gone in like for Heavy Age, we went in and performed the whole thing live. There's two drummers on that record. Hmm. Like it's uh, uh, that's all done live in the studio. Whereas everything since then has been other other than um. Mute the Charm is quite a bit of live on live yeah. playing on Mute the Charm, but um, yeah, it's just a lot of like putting songs together in the studio and just having fun with it. This this that's new so cool. newest record is definitely like a lot of live drums. Uh, the next one that's coming out next year, but um, yeah, I'll spare you those details for now. <laughs> <laughs> that's dope, dude. I'm dude. Tell me what's the future for you, man. I know you've got this incredibly amazing situation going on recording records you know playing on records got a great job got family life what, what, what's the future for you bud yeah so i'm just going to continue do, doing what i'm doing i do have a few goals like i'm looking forward to like wrapping up all my current projects um and just spending some time working on my own thing like i yeah. have hundreds and hundreds of like sketches and uh just figures for four songs. Um, so I think I want to, I want to do like a mixtape. This is, is what That'd I'm thinking. Cool. So I'm, right now I'm, when I, when I, I just grab a few minutes when I can and, and I yeah. kind of have a session going where I'm just pulling in different things I've made over the years and just trying to make this like cohesive experience with it. Um, yeah. So it's like, there's no rush on it. So I'm just going to take yeah. my, my precious time and just write the opus, bro. Write yeah. Opus. I just want to make something that I could be really proud of. I think it's, you know, it's going to be like one long track, like a true, like mixtape style. Yeah. You know, it's, uh, I, I just would really like to put something out under my I own think you should. thing. So that's, that's my next focus. And then, yeah, tons more like, you know, we're, we're, we're working on new Norma Jean records, new orphan twin records, um, what sailor, um, and a few other bits and pieces. So. You guys are naughty. Yeah. You guys are so naughty. <laughs> Bro, what an awesome conversation, man. I'm so stoked that you came on. I, re- I really appreciate it, dude. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. I, it's really great that you're doing this podcast. I've been checking out the episodes, and uh, it's a re- I, I'm learning a lot of cool things from people, so it's always always fun to listen. Sick, dude. I really, really, really appreciate it, and uh, hopefully we'll have to hang at some point soon. Yep. All right, buddy. I'll talk to you soon. All right. Bye. Hey, thank you to the listener for tuning into this latest episode. Uh, thank you so much, Matt Putman, for hanging out, talking, shop. It was cool. Really stoked on it. Um, yeah, add me, guys, if you want. Facebook, Instagram, at the Rumors Are True cast. If you want to like and subscribe, go ahead. I think it's kind of nerdy to ask for it, but hey, who's to say? All right, guys. Thanks for, uh, again, tuning in, and we'll uh, see you soon. Peace. <laughs>